Welcome to Witness. I'm Laura. And I'm Keaton. We wanted to start today just talking a little bit about our logo. If you've seen uh, our Witness logo on social media or on the podcast feed, it was designed for us by my friend Brad Wise, uh, who uh, I've gotten to work with on all kinds of fun projects. And he is really good at like when you tell him some kind of abstract, weird idea, he can turn it into a concrete look. And he also includes all kinds of really intentional Easter eggs in there. So you're welcome to look at our logo and try to see if you, if you want to pause it here and see yeah. if you can uncover <laughs> what we were including in there. That'd be great. But we're going to talk through it a little bit too. Yeah, he's very thoughtful. And so there are some, there's some hiddenness in the logo. So it goes back to a story of, uh, I hung out at the park with my mom a lot as she was in the throes of Alzheimer's, just being outside was really comforting to her. And birds in particular became like her best pals, Aww. which I think is not unique to Alzheimer's patients. I think a lot of people, whether it's as they age or just when they need peace, they look to birds. It's like a thing in our in our souls. Sure. Um, They're social it, creatures too. So I like watching how they interact with each other. Yeah. <laughs> and they just seem, maybe it's because they get to fly. Maybe that's why we love them so much. But my mom really loved the birds. And so we would go just try to look for them. And we went to this park one day and there were these birds like flying in these wild swoops. And they had these flashes of blue would kind of go by. And it looked like they were in chaos. But then you sensed that there might have been some order to what they were up to. And it turns out they were barn swallows. Have you ever noticed barn swallows? I don't think you? so. Uh-uh. Once you once you kind of pay attention, that's the thing about birding, I think, is once you pay attention, you start to see uh, birds everywhere and you start to notice them and know their sure. names. Sure. I know. I would love to. I feel like I know all birds as birds. Yes. There's <laughs> Small birds and red birds and blue birds. <laughs> it, it becomes a thing. Um, and so I started noticing barn swallows all over the place. And so when I talked to Brad about the logo, I said, I... I would love to incorporate them because they have, they do have these flashes of blue and orange and they're kind of just unique. And then they swoop all kind of uh, wild ways. And he did a little research on it and found out that that's a part of their, their like communal life is that they wake up in the morning and they can go up to 30 miles away from each other and then find their way back home. And he also found out that uh, you know how like there's there's names for animals and groups? Yes. A flock of uh, these barn swallows, they're called a kettle. Mm. And which is also the name of how you make tea and stuff. Mm -hmm. And Brad and I talk a lot in our just like friendship about cups and the importance of having cups between you. And so the logo is meant to look partly like the wing of a barn swallow, a wildly swooping and partly like just cups. Uh, on a table between friends being together yeah and we have cups between us right now that's I've got right. my tea and you have your coffee yeah and it feels a little more comfortable it right does. it's a little easier my friend Ashley has a theory about how when we hold cups like displaces our nervous energy so that we're better able to tell the truth to each other sometimes mm -hmm. um and so that's what our our logo is meant to to represent is the the wild witness that we see in nature and that we feel in ourselves and that it shows up in the way birds fly and the way we start our mornings. And uh, so I just wanted to note that um, and to just appreciate uh, how often these patterns reappear. 
So we're going to talk to uh, my friend Jason today. Jason is one of my favorite people. He is the co-founder and director of Bog Ministries in Dayton. They provide mobile food pantries and block parties uh, in places all around the city. They provide food uh, to those who are experiencing food insecurity. He is the husband to Jenny, who also happens to be one of my very favorite people. He is father to Connor and Isley. And as we're going to hear in today's story, he is the son of Deb and our moms were on a on a similar path with Alzheimer's dementia. They started showing symptoms together. They were diagnosed just about a year apart and then ended up passing away just about a year apart. I think if you just met us, you wouldn't think we had a ton of things in common, but we actually do. And then this became this very bizarre thing that we had in common was to watch our moms um, deal with Alzheimer's together. And uh, you're getting ready to to kind of go through that in your own family. Sure. Yeah. My my grandmother recently moved into memory care facility. So editing this episode and hearing you guys share and these experiences together held a sense of like solemnness to me. Yeah. There's something you're going to hear Jason talk about this. The, the unique challenge of being with someone who is less themselves than they used to be. Um, the strange kind of grief that comes as you're watching somebody sort of physically still be with you, but mentally um, they go through transitions. They go through different stages of being themselves. A thing I love about Jason is he has always just enjoyed his mom. And <laughs> I don't know, that's not always the first thought people have. I feel like with our parents, it is a, there's a tension there, right? Sure. There, it's, a, it's a complicated relationship. It's, it's sometimes the source of the most beauty in our life and the most conflict. Uh, but he has always just talked about his mom with love and affection. And he kind of just finds joy in her. And uh, I don't know, you're at that stage yet. Sometimes I think that comes with age, but he had that really young, I think. Absolutely. Are, yeah. Do you yeah. see that with your own family or with your friends that parents can be a struggle, right? Sure, sure. And something that's that I appreciated about Jason's approach too is he just saw his mom as being a full human. And that's something that I'm learning how to do, seeing parents as being people versus being parents. It's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. And I think the sooner we can get to that space in life, the better it is for all of us. And so I know I've learned from Jason uh, throughout our long friendship, just about what it means to particularly to honor and love your mom. And here's Jason's story. I think we should start with things we have in common. Yeah. So I'm here with Jason Johnston, who's been my friend for almost 20 years, mm -hmm. which is a long time. And I think, I don't know if you think this or would agree with this, but I think if people just saw us or knew us a little bit, they might be surprised that we're such good friends. Is that fair? I think that's fair, especially like where our story started. Yes. Because... We met while I was working for the church and while you were. I was, I was volunteering for the church 
on community service. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is a, a really beautiful story, right? Uh, and I think too, like I'm, I'm kind of bookish. You like to call me a church monkey because I'm kind of a church nerd. Yeah. Or a reader. A reader. <laughs> yeah. And you're more of a, a non-reader. Yeah. That's probably the word I would use. Yeah. <laughs> that's, but, that's fair though. How would I describe myself in yeah. that setting? I don't know. Good question. You're more of a, a doer. That's fair. Um, but I think when you really break it down, there are a lot of things we do have in common. And I think that's been why we did become friends so easily back in the day. So if we had to list what we have in common, what would you, what would you put on that list? I would say music. Yes. That was the number one on my list. If this was Family Feud, I'd say show us the board and music would be the number one answer. And we would do like some high five. Yeah, that's right. Because we know. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. What's something you would say? You have a list. Yeah, I do have a, I did make a list because that's another way we're different is that I made a plan for this and you just showed up. Uh, I think not just music, but I think we both love discovering things. I think that's fair. Like a lot of our conversations are like, I found this new band I like, or I found this new idea, or I think about like, we're people who like to kind of explore the world and talk about what we have found out there. Well, because I think we, yeah, we are curious, but we also are intentional with wanting, I think, to be bigger than the worlds we've been exposed to and taught throughout yeah. the years. Yeah. And I, I, we became friends at a time when I was, you know, trying to figure out what it meant to work for a church and if it meant you only kind of lived inside the world of the church. And so I feel like when I became friends with you, it was like, oh no, I could also go to shows and like hang out in downtown Dayton and I could have a bigger life than just inside church. And that was a big deal to me. I, and I was like, Hey, I should invite this person to get outside the church. because <laughs> yeah. The church feels a little funny to me. <laughs> yeah. But you were at that time in it, you know, you were, you were down for whatever the church might, the community at least. Cause that's another thing I would put on the list is that we both really love people and are also really frustrated by people Yeah, that yeah, our love for that. people and our like our dream of what people could be gets frustrated easily. Does that seem, does that sound right to you? How, how would oh, you put yeah. that? Oh yeah. I get like so mad at people for the lack of like who they're not being, Yeah, which is so ridiculous because I'm also cheering for them for who they are. Yes. But I do think it, whether it's, a gift or a curse like yeah you're being able to see more in someone else or maybe you, you want to cheer them on while you embrace and accept who they are so 20 years into our friendship we ended up with a, a really terrible thing in common to add to those fun good things we have in common which is that about a year apart our moms were diagnosed with dementia uh, my mom's was alzheimer's yours was maybe mine was dementia it was just kind of dementia yeah um and, and strangely enough, they kind of declined. <laughs> there, it wasn't the exact same, but just the timing of it was very similar in that they died almost a year apart also. Um, but because of the way Alzheimer's and different dementias work, their stories were very different. <laughs> so it was this weird thing where we were going through some things that were the same and some things that were really, really different. Uh, I wonder if you could just tell us about Deb. Just tell us about your mom. Uh, what was she like when you were growing up? What were your favorite things to do together? Just tell us her story a little bit. Yeah. So uh, my mom, 
was born, Deb Jafola, in um, Iron Mountain, Michigan, big Italian community. And she then became a Johnston when she met my father. Uh, they met in high school and they dated and they got married and they had my brother, Joe, and then me, Jason, five years apart. And then, so for me, my mom was, um, she was, she was my mom as a kid, you know, and then my parents, they divorced when I was around seven years old and she moved to Madison, Wisconsin. Um, my brother and I went with her, she remarried. And from that point, uh, my stepdad never really played a role of stepdad. So my mom kind of for the day to day kind of played both mom and dad from my perspective. Um, so she was, she was the definition of what a parent is in my eyes. Right. Um, where I can get blurred sometimes of maybe what people who had a house where mom and dad, um, played separate roles. And it's kind of something like I work through in my, in my marriage. Right. Try sure. to figure that out. Yeah. Um, so she was, she was my mom and she was uh, a cheerleader and she was a fan and, um, almost to a fault, you know, like I definitely got my fair share of like punishments for the stupid things I did, but she had this bond of trusting what I said and she really believed I wouldn't lie to her. And I feel like I did a pretty good job of that, but you know, you're getting high school you're doing some things that <clears throat> you don't know if you should be doing. Yeah. She was definitely a cheerleader. Like, I feel like that's a, the little bit that I got to interact with both of you together. You, at least by that time in life, you could, you could do no wrong to her. It's, it is so true. And it it is to a fault. Like, like I joke uh, with my wife about that these days, some nights, because, um, as that progressed, right. Um, she, after became being parent became friend, right. As, as an adult, when I moved to Ohio um, back in 2003, yeah, 2003, mm-hmm. um, she became a friend, right? So she was still living in Wisconsin, and so she was being an adult parent to me. But as as that grows on, it becomes a friendship. And so, so I got to know my mom as, right, some of them not as just mom, but as, right, Deb or Debbie, yeah. And as you become an adult friend with your parents, right, you do find out different narratives of how you perceived your story and how you've perceived their story, right? And so for me, I would say, right, my mom was always a, a, a fan and a fighter, right, an ambassador, a cheerleader um, for me. And I think the, the, with dementia, I saw those characteristics slip away and with her being gone I can find myself feeling like the that cheerleader that fan it is irreplaceable yeah right um because I do think there's a parent cheerleader that I don't think you can be unless you're a parent right or understand because it is almost unhealthy (laughs) yeah and I I know I have that in me as a parent sometimes because the other word for that is love right it's this very big love that they bring. Um, one, one thing I think about when the first time I met your mom, you know, I think I came out to your place out near Fairfield and 
there was a group of us and it was like, oh, Jason's mom is coming along with us tonight. I think we were going to a show out at Peaches. It was at Peaches. Yeah. And you know, when you hear somebody's mom is coming along, you don't think, oh, the night's going to be more fun. But then Deb showed up and that night was way more fun, which I think is pretty special, right? I mean, she was, I don't know if she was that way in every situation, but I always saw her as the life of the party, kind of, even if the party wasn't going on. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. And I think it's, it's, it's fun in this moment to hear you say that because like it hits me differently because you're right. Like if you would have said, Hey, my mom's coming, I would have been like, what do you mean your mom's coming? <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but from my perspective, it was like, Oh, my mom's coming in from Wisconsin and of course she's hanging out, but you're right. <clears throat> Your mom was also a, a caretaker, right? I mean, she took care of your grandpa and grandma or just your grandpa? She was. She was very much a caretaker. She took care of my grandma, um, who also had dementia. Um, so I got exposed to that then and got yeah. to kind of help her um, with my grandma. And she took care of my grandpa and she took care of uh, my uncle and my aunt. And she's always kind of been a compassionate caregiver uh, as, as a friend that I also seen from a distance, right? She was a giving person. She was an intentional person. Again, characteristics that, that we probably mirror pretty similar right? Yeah. over the years of why do I care? So like I can say like when my mom got sick, it wasn't a choice yes. for me. And I, and I've talked to some people and they're like, of course, everything's a choice. Yes. Technically we can choose what we put on for the day. But there are some parts of our character that I do believe are only taught through the people we grew up in, right? Yeah. Whether it's a parent or a friend or a neighbor, um, those those values that you that you learn as you grow up, right? So, yeah, I guess technically I could have said no, I'm not going to help. But for me, it's not a choice. It, yeah. It is part of my DNA that she taught me through being who she was and allowing herself to be herself. And let me witness that. Yeah, I think that is also on that list of things we have in common. You know, my my mom took care of her mom. She didn't have Alzheimer's, but she had a lot of heart trouble. And so had several years of being in poor health from like the time I was a kid to my freshman year in high school. My mom was taking care of <laughs> both her kids and her mom. And it was the same thing. Like I just knew that was a part of life from a really early age is that when it's your turn, you step up like, and I wouldn't have even had the possibility in my imagination of not doing that <laughs> or of outsourcing it. That didn't even feel like a possibility um, to me. Let's go back to, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but you know, what was it like for you to, to watch her decline, to watch her become, because she was so vibrant <laughs> and because she was so compassionate, what was it like to see dementia kind of change her character? She was somebody who was so, did have so much integrity and so much kind of purity of heart that you knew what you were getting with her. So what was it like to watch dementia kind of take over her personality a little bit? Um, it's, it's an interesting question because I do think that's a common narrative. I don't even know if that's a word, but I made it. <laughs> That'll work. That right. That people who similarity go through, through, through the, yeah, yeah, that's a better word. <laughs> people who go through Alzheimer's and dementia. I think anyone who hears this, who's lived that it is, it is very true. A lot of times that people go opposite of who they are, Yeah. which, which makes me like question, like, is that just the part of you that we all have, right? We all have the ability to be outgoing. I think we all have the ability to, to be reserved. And so maybe like there is part of, 
there's a chemical that is like the brain's just like, you didn't give me enough of this balance. (laughs) And so now I'm going to go to the extreme opposite. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, of course it's, it's hard and it's, it's every emotion and feeling you think at different times. Um, right. But at times it was also refreshing, right. To be able to like sit in a space with my mom and just to talk and know that she was listening and feeling like I knew that I knew the answer she would give me. Mm-hmm. Um, but feeling like there was one voice in that conversation, right? As much as she was an advocate, a cheerleader, right? There is a time where it's nice just to know that the person that's closest in your corner is just listening. Mm-hmm. Um, because my mom lost her ability to speak um, the last two years of her life. And so when there's no words coming out, Right. There is times where it was like it was it was nice just to sit. Um, but more, more, more times than not, it was it's just hurtful. Right. Because yeah. That added to the pain for sure, because she was so different. Yeah. yeah. Like I just wanted her to say something. Right. I just yeah. want her to, to be that cheerleader or fan um, and say, hey, take a breath or it's going to be good. Yeah. Well, it's so much of your. I'm I'm projecting just what I know about your, but a lot of your life with her as you were an adult was about like doing stuff together, right? You guys did this, you, this baseball thing where you're trying to see all the baseball stadiums and you would travel together and, you know, she was so much about like food and wine and trying new places. And so to then have your relationship just being in a room together, that's a big switch to make. Yeah. 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 No, <laughs> to just sitting quietly together. Yeah. Uh, that's tough. No, you're right. And I think, but I think at some level too, in that it was like, you know, I've told people like I've had such good life with her, you know, and so many good memories that, right. I think part of the decline and you and I talked about this a lot during those years. And sometimes I feel like you'd look at me like I was crazy, <laughs> but right. I watched my mom fade away. And so part of, my grieving, and I think anyone who's been down this road, you are grieving in a way that only people who have lost people to this disease or disease where a voice or physicality is taken away from their personality. In the in, in that moment, right? I think what's, what was harder than that was not just seeing her, but knowing that I was losing someone watching it and the rest of the world had no concept of like, well, your mom's sick. It's just another day. Sure. But it's another day that I don't have the person who's always been. And so I'm grieving a living person. Yes. And it's, that's, it's such a bizarre thing with, with the Alzheimer's dementia world that I don't think you get it unless you've lived it. Yeah. Cause they're, they're physically still right there. And, you know, to varying degrees, some shade of who they are is there. Um, but with Deb, she very early on lost her essence or at least wasn't able to communicate um, what was happening inside of her. Uh, so after Deb died, you you were in this unique position of of basically organizing and making all those decisions about her service and doing them yourself. Uh, you're kind of, I don't know if you would consider yourself this, but I think of you as a pastoral person, like somebody who carries on your mom's job of, watching out for people and taking care of people. So you've done some weddings for friends. Um, You've been ordained in that way. That's unique in that people have just asked you to play that role for them. And so you found yourself in this space of you've lost your mom, 
but you also were kind of like the pastor to your mom and your family, right? Yeah. So, so tell us what you, like, how did you decide what that should look like? How did you approach being both the person you guys did a, just a graveside service, right? We did a private viewing with, um, close friends and family. Okay. And then a graveside. Yeah. Okay. And so tell us what you were thinking about with that. What was, what was swirling in your mind as you made preparations for that? For sure. Um, I will start by saying like when my grandpa died, my mom asked me to do majority of his service mm-hmm. and I did it. And I remember her being like, Hey, would you do my service when I die? Okay. Right. And I can remember being like, again, it's that, you know, the answer is yes. And in the moment you say yes to it, because why wouldn't you? But you, right. but you don't, you don't really, you have no concept of what you're saying yes to. Yeah. Um, or what state of mind you're going to be in when that actually happens. Yeah. Very much so. So I know for myself, um, I started working on some of that stuff in advance and right. My mom died in August, um, 21 and the COVID was still kind of a thing depending on what state you're in. Sure. And so one thing for me that I did make a decision on in that planning process that I know I upset some people, especially some of her friends, is my mom always prided herself on how she appeared. Um, she cared about what she wore. She cared about what she looked like. Um, and I don't think it was necessarily an unhealthy way. I think she was raised that you are, you should present yourself the best because you can be the best. So one thing I did is she, because she declined so much and, and when she died, I mean, she was skin and bones mm-hmm. I mean, literally and she looked nothing like herself. And so one decision that I made based on what I truly felt she would have wanted is she was unrecognizable, I think, to most and mm-hmm. that she was living in Ohio for the last two and a half years of her life. And so lots of people didn't see her and they didn't make the, the t- trip to see her. It's not like you post pictures of your sibling or right. your, your mom or your, your loved one when they're fading in such a horrible disease. Right. And so one of the major things that I made a decision of was saying, look, we're going to do a private service um, because I don't think she'd want people to remember her that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so to me, I, I anyone who came and visited her in Ohio or were intentional with writing her, or FaceTiming her, or, or being intentional with, with me and my family. I said, okay, you've been a part of this journey. Mm-hmm. Then come be a part of the last this last part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one major thing that I, I wasn't expecting that I would have to do, right? Mm-hmm. We all have this vision of like, oh, my funeral. Like I can tell you my funeral, like I want to drink beer and like have pe- like I want to have thumbs up and a brewer's hat on. <laughs> Sure. And a smile on my face. Yeah. Right? <laughs> because why not? Right. But like, you, again, when I said yes to do Did you put that in writing? Have you got that in writing yet? I've, I've, well, I've said it a lot of times, <laughs> yeah. and now it's another, another version. Yeah, you here. could pass this along. Yeah. Um, but I think, right, that was a, a decision I wasn't anticipating having to make. Yeah. Um, well, I think that that makes some sense with Alzheimer's dementia, too, because that last stretch can be so isolating. And they can be almost like off on an island, you know, and you do kind of lose some of those relational ties. And it's, it is very tricky to decide how to honor them after such a difficult stretch. Absolutely. You know, I think another thing that like every, I wouldn't say people just with this, but everyone has to write a eulogy, 
or not eulogy, I'm sorry, an obituary, mm-hmm. right? So I think we as people who have never, until you've written an obituary, you will read them differently right. after you write one. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, right, you're also saying, like, how do I honor this person? Yes. How do I summarize who they are with less words and more? Yes. Um, and so that was a weird, another weird moment where, you know, I wrote it, I wrote it out and I sent it to my dad and brother and just said, hey, what do you think about this? Um, because, right, even like my parents, they have a, a, a different story. Like they were married, they divorced, mm-hmm. they both remarried, Yeah, they both divorced, then they get back together. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, we could do a whole other episode uh, just about their ups and downs. <laughs> right, but they never remarry. They live together, right? And then I, I moved my mom to Ohio to take care of her in the last stretch of her life. And right, so it's like, it's something simple being like, how do I write my dad into this? Because yes. it's not her husband, but it was her husband. Yeah. Right? And and it's things like that that you don't think about. You have to figure out how to articulate that. So you're respecting the living, respecting the dead, and helping yeah. um, the people who are reading it understand what the relationship was. Um but then like eulogy, right? Because then I'm like, oh, I have to think this through, right? Yeah. And then as you know, you're planning all these things. You're talking to everyone, you know, what caskets and all these things, which again are weird. Yes. Um, but even like burial spaces, right? All these things that you don't really think about, um, you have to think about really quickly. Yes. And so, but I can remember like the eulogy, like I just went inside in my my yard. I have a, si- a swing in my in my side yard. And I just talked my eulogy to myself. Hmm. And I worked out all this emotion and obviously cried my way through it. Sure. And being like, how do I tell her story to this? Because I think part of that was unique about this private service was there was no one in that room who didn't know me, who didn't know my brother, who didn't know my dad, who didn't know her. And most people have known her for 20 plus years, if not her whole life. So when you're trying to think about Everyone in this room is intentional and everyone in this room knows her and knows us. So how do I talk and include everyone in the room Mm -hmm. because they're in the room because they're actual real people who loved her and she she loved them, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're talking to the living. And for me, I like being intentional. So I wanted to make sure that I had this moment, right? And this moment when you're at a funeral, you have people's attention. And again, I look in that room and there's people I love and there's people I've known my whole life. But in the moment, right, I'm in the driver's seat to say something and see, and, and hopefully right, God does something with that. I think that's where I leave that, right? From a pastoral moment where I don't have to have the right words. I just want to make sure my words are intentional and let God be God. Because also like I'm trying to not be a, a total emotional person <laughs> yeah. because at some level I would say like, I almost feel like cheated too. Yes. Because I think there, there is healing that happens when you're in that seat listening. Yes. And I had to shut part of that off to be able to honor my mom. But I do think that's part of her character. She taught me that there is times in life we have to shut down and not be selfish to give back. Right. And so in that moment, I could look and see my kids. I could see my nieces, see my dad and my wife and people that I've known forever. And so now I'm just talking to them, right? Yeah. But I'm telling her story through the people in the room. 
yeah, you're trying to put a frame around it. You know, you're basically putting a frame around Deb's life and what mattered and what she would want them to know and what you want them to know as the one close to her. And I think so much of what you said makes sense to me. Like one, just when you're crafting both the obituary and the eulogy, you're trying to take a 4D, multidimensional, vibrant, colorful life and fit it into words. And that's so difficult. And then it's especially difficult when it's somebody you are extra, <laughs> like she's, you know, your closest person on earth. So I wonder, did you have anything that you did for you? Or did you have anything that somebody did for you through those day initial days? I think something I did for myself was I also made a soundtrack for, right, the mm -hmm. viewing. Okay. Which, which as we identified. Yeah, music. Music is a thing, right? Uh, and it is, it is, it is it's not a choice it's again it's a part of my life it's sure. part of right our lives you understand that and yeah. i think everyone who knows music um but putting that together right right i allowed myself to get some of those feelings oh and i just i said and just cried and just jenny my wife was like why do you keep punishing yourself <laughs> um, but there's also healing in that right? you have like, to do that a little bit yeah absolutely and right putting together pictures because i also wanted pictures to be intentional to people in the room mm -hmm. um sorry who who doesn't like this guy this sounds weird but like you go to a funeral and you don't see like a picture of you with someone that yes. you think's really important you're, you're like, like oh, looking for your part in it what about me in the story <laughs> yes um, that's very real it is. and like families can be destroyed or friendships can be destroyed because they don't feel represented or like they're a part of it so that's a big deal yeah and i didn't want to be in too many pictures of being like well here's another picture of jason <laughs> in it again like go figure you put them all together that's right um but i think in that right like there i think i, I was able to get some of those moments of, of putting those things together by myself um and also like reaching out to some of our family members and saying hey i know this trip happened can i get a picture from it um and then some conversation that came from that. So I would say I had friends that reached out in that time between her death and the the funeral and, and kind of poured into me with hopefully some of those words that I turned around and used. So, Good. So, yeah. It's funny. I was just thinking about, I don't, I think it was probably a podcast that I heard the song, but somebody was telling a story about a, a wedding where the bride and groom wrote letters to everybody who came. To basically like honor the people who were there. And so they, they turned it around from just being about them to being about everybody else who was there too. Because um, I think those moments are supposed to be back to that word love. Like talk about like trying to fit too much into one word. But that's what it's supposed to be about is like this, this love was here. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's cool because you're right. It is, it, it is a full circle thing. And I will touch one last thing. And I, I will get away from this. You're fine. Because I think it's important because you asked like what I got. So as I was standing um, doing this eulogy, right, I could at some level say, hey, this is what my mom would do, right? I've seen her sit and talk about the people in our life. Yes. And so at some moment I was, I was being that while honoring her, but also recognizing that's in me. And then we leave there and we go to the cemetery, which I'll say I didn't have a plan. Um, <laughs> because it was such a small thing, I kind of said, look, I'm going to open it up to the floor because I also think it stinks when you go to a funeral and you really care about someone, but maybe the person facilitating, they're, they're in their own world. Mm -hmm. They forget how important that person meant to others. Um, and so I just want to say, hey, if you want to say something, this is the time. We're outside. 
the floor is yours, mm-hmm. right? And at the time, uh, my son Connor was six or just turned seven. His birthday was was on one side of the fence within two weeks of her death. And and he said, like, I'd like to talk, right? And I listened to my six-year-old talk about his his Nona. And for me in that moment, it was like, I'm watching my son do what he witnesses. He watches me talk. Mm-hmm. And he didn't think twice about it because I don't think twice about talking. It's easy for me. Mm-hmm. And so it was that it was kind of like a generational thing where my mom talked a lot, maybe too much. And I talk a lot, sometimes maybe too much. <laughs> right. But to see my son also at that age, be able to say, I'm in a graveyard, standing in an open hole with his, with his Nona in a casket, but still being able to be like, well, this is what we do. We talk. Yeah. And so like, it was kind of a moment of like, it, generations do pass on, right? Yes. You're, you're still talking in a moment where most, most people were like, why is this kid talking? You know, but for me, it was it was, yeah. was kind of cool. It was it was a bit of me, it was a bit of my mom. It was kind of yeah, I love that. Yeah, it was neat. Well, and it shows how much that is an impulse in us, right? To like that's a part of this why I want to have these conversations because it's what, like to ask the question like why is that so ingrained in us that when somebody dies we we need to talk about it, you know? And so even Connor and he's a super tender hearted kid. So it doesn't surprise me too much that he would feel that, you know, but you know, why does he have that instinct? Like, Oh, I need to say something about Nona. Um, I wonder, speaking of Connor and Isley, you're two, uh, very beautiful kids who should be target models. Um, what do you think, like, as you think about later years, what do you think you'll tell them about Deb? Like how will you keep her story going in their lives? It's interesting because I, at the moment, I don't quite know. I know that moments come up that, that I have conversations, right? Um, but it is, it is, it is a thing I don't have the answer to right now. I'll be honest with you. I know we were on the way to gymnastics a couple of weeks ago. And me and I were you doing the gymnastics? No, I've given up, <laughs> I've given up on my gymnastics. Oh, okay. Um, but but me and Isley were driving to gymnastics. And my mom recorded, right, those Hallmark books mm-hmm. that um, if you're hearing this, you've either received one or you've done one, probably from <laughs> parent or grandparent. And I get it's so, you're like, oh, another book where you're reading. <laughs> Let me tell you, those books are actually pretty cool. Yeah. With, with my mom not here. Especially right when now. the voice is gone. It, yeah. And, it, and it's, it's one of those where she, my daughter said to me, she said, I was listening to the book that Nona recorded in my room before we came here, which I don't. I don't force that upon them, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't even know she did that. And um, she said, is that what Nona sounded like? Because Isley, my mom officially, I knew she had dementia. Um, actually, I <laughs> 100% confirmed my mom had dementia the day my daughter was born. Hmm. Isley was born and that was the day that I had no doubts because of the way she responded on mm-hmm. that day. That I was like, yep, yeah. she has dementia. Yeah, I, she's not herself. There, yeah. there, was, there wasn't a maybe. So... Um, my daughter's life has always kind of been affiliated with my mom's dementia, yeah. um, which has been a, a weird balance, but she's never heard my mom talk. She would never remember her voice. So her mm-hmm. saying like, what is this? Was this what Nona sounded like? And I said, yeah, it was. And, um, I said, you know, she would love to be coming tonight to watch you. And she said, because she's five now, she said, well, she, I don't remember her coming to watch me before. And I said, well, she never did come to watch you. I'm just saying she would love 
she would really love to be here right now. And yeah. She looked at me and she said, dad, she, she gets to see me all the time. She's in heaven. Like she's always watching me. And that was a moment that I was like, I'm not going to say anything else. Like, <laughs> yeah. because I don't know if that's right or wrong, but you kind of hope it's, yeah, it, it works it's, like it's that. A great hope, yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, so honestly, I don't know. I, I, I want them to know, you know, that they loved her or that she loved them. And mm -hmm. man, she would love to be there and be a cheerleader and fan and a grandparent to them. Um, as well as like, right. My nieces and who are a little bit older, um, that I guess I'd want them to know that whether they have memories of their own or not, that man, she would have been that cheerleader. She yeah. would have been that loving, compassionate. Um, I'm going to do too much than too little <laughs> personality. Right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's hard because you're, you want to, you want them to know her, but even in talking about her, you're, you're bringing a, like a gap into their life. Like you could have had this love around you. You could have gotten all of these weird gifts at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, like you think of all the ways Deb would have surrounded them and loved them. And from your perspective, you're seeing what they're missing by not having her. Um, 100%. And I think that's weird, right? Because I don't want, I don't want to just pass on my hurt because they don't know that's a hurt. Right. It's just their normal. So yeah, there is a fine line of like, I don't want you to feel like you're missing something so much that you feel cheated. Mm -hmm. But I guess maybe my hope is the parts of her that are me are just going to, are going to travel on. Right. And so their, their identity of who dad is, is going to have part of who Deb was. Yeah. And I think maybe as they get older, helping them understand, like, these are things that I learned from my mom. And so these things, maybe you like about me or don't like about me. Right. These are things that I learned from my mom, you know, yeah. Nona. Well, and it'll ultimately, I think, also help their puzzle of themselves. You know, <laughs> like I know for me, even before my parents died, but even after, it was like, I'm trying to piece together why I do weird things. And it's like, maybe if I knew that a grandparent did it, I could <laughs> understand myself better, you know, and both the good things and the hard things, like what are those tendencies that are just kind of written on our <laughs> written in our blood? Um, cause it helps us understand kind of the mystery, the mystery of ourselves a little bit. So they may crave that even more as they get, get older. Um, last question that I think I'm going to ask everybody who, who does this, this interview with me. You already mentioned you kind of hope that there's thumbs up and, and like flowing drinks at your service. Have you thought about like, specifically the words like are there words that you hope people will attach to you someday maybe they'll say them to you before you die but definitely afterwards <laughs> they'll say oh that's the guy who was this kind of guy are there words you hope to hear yeah i suppose i would hope that people would identify that i was genuine that if you let me into your world that you knew that i loved you and that like I would fight for you and with you. Um, but I'd also like kick your ass <laughs> it, 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 right? in, in a way of like growing and challenging. Sure. Um, because I do think we need that. I do think those, we either, I think grow and learn because um, we stumble and fall 
or people that we trust and love us are willing to say the hard things to us and we can um, wrestle with those things because we know it is because it's part of the journey. Right. So I don't know. I guess I just hope that, yeah, people recognize that I did care. Maybe I cared more than they thought I did. Um, yeah. So to take this back to the start, we talked about how we're different, right? So you came in having not looked at the questions I sent you ahead of time and not having pre-written notes. I came in with pre-written notes. So I answered this question and my notes, like one of the words that I wrote was like, you're the, one of the truest people I know. Um, and I wrote, if I outlive you, which is hard to, I am older, so I don't know how this will go. <laughs> but if I outlive you, like I'll say what I would say now to you, which is you're just one of my favorite people. Um, and that your friendship is such a, it's been surprising to me the whole time and that it's a total gift and that you do kick my ass sometimes and I'm grateful for it. So thanks for doing that for all of us today. Well, thank you. It's always nice to, uh, say the things um, both positively and, and harshly to one another. <laughs> we, we just forget to say the kind things a lot of times. You That's know? right. We let that go on so, so, so until I, we have to. So yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> but on mic. Yeah, we're good. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Listening to Jason's story, again, reminds me of the delicacy of going through things beside each other because sometimes it's, it's comforting to be in the same spot. Sometimes it's hard to be in a similar spot. We do this very human thing of comparing. One of the, the interesting parts about our parallel stories is that Alzheimer's is so different for every patient. And so we would go through stages where his mom would be declining while my mom was still pretty functional. Um, and there was a, there was a delicacy to talking about it together. Sometimes I wonder if you Keaton has your, has your grandma is kind of entering into this struggle. Like, have you been looking up stories about how Alzheimer's goes or is it comforting to you to hear those possibilities? Or? It's all of the things it's comforting. It's discomforting. Even, even as I was listening to um, you're in Jason's stories. I couldn't help but make it about my story and right. trying to anticipate and predict. And I just think there isn't a lot of prediction that can be, that can be present. Yeah. I think we need a variety of pictures too. Cause even with just talking about how to be a family together, you know, growing up, Jason's story with his mom is so joyful. And, um, I think just in a lot of ways, we compare our witness <laughs> to other mm -hmm. people's with witnesses. Mm -hmm. And so there is that, that delicacy there. I hope um, with telling just different kinds of Alzheimer's stories in particular, you know, a lot of times if somebody, let's say somebody famous is diagnosed with Alzheimer's, the response online is almost always, what an awful thing, what a horrible thing. And sometimes that is how it goes. And it, it is a cruel disease in a very particular way. Uh, but one of the reasons I tell the story of my mom and I is because Alzheimer's gave us some healing. Uh, and that's a, that's a longer story to tell. Absolutely. But it's just to say it can go a lot of different ways. And the most important thing 
I think we're trying to share is just whichever way it goes, you need to be with them together. Right. And has a, has a sort of conclusion to Jason's story. I think we talk in, in the interview about him and Deb trying to go to all the baseball stadiums. Yes. And, (laughs) and they made it. Uh, Jason finished the, the trip on, on her behalf and this past August, uh, he went to his final baseball stadium to honor uh, that journey they had been on together. And so I think, you know, as people listen in, hopefully they, they just kind of enjoy getting to hear how somebody's story um, plays out. But it should also be a reminder to take joy in each other and, and to do it as soon as we possibly can, even our parents. Uh, to find whatever is good and lovely and beautiful about them and honor that as soon as we can. Thanks for joining us on Witness.